0: real film
1: hello everybody and welcome to indie cult the podcast where we discuss the struggles and learning experiences of independent artists and creative minds i am george and today i am joined by this is evan Hello, Evan. Welcome back.
2: I'm happy to be back. Every time? I think so.
1: I mean, that's
2: yet to be seen. Or heard. Or heard.
1: Actually heard, not seen at all. I guess not. It's neither seen nor heard in this world. I guess, no, wait, that's not right. It's It's not seen but heard, I guess. It's speaking, not seen but heard. Yeah, but heard. Mm-hmm. Speaking of herd, it's that herd immunity that we need to build up so that we can start seeing.
2: Mm. The herd immunity?
1: Yeah. Which one's the herd immunity? The herd herd immunity. Uh, do you know what herd immunity means? No, what's, what's herd immunity? So herd immunity is basically... Um, so f- for... Um, in order to stop the spread of, of of disease, you don't need to have every single person in the population or quote unquote the herd to be immune. You just need most of the people to be immune and the herd mm-hmm. will protect the ones that are not immune. Mm-hmm. So, like if you're in a huge group of people, let's say, let's say there's a hundred people in a room, right? If if ninety-eight of those 100 people are immune to said disease, the two that aren't will probably not get sick because the disease won't be able to pass through all the other people that are immune to get to the other person who's sick, who can get mm-hmm. sick, rather. Mm-hmm. You see? So part of pre- part of prevent. So I, I'm saying herd immunity because of coronavirus.
2: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. picked up on that.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if I did a good job of explaining that, but but I think you get it.
2: I think so. I, I'm not sure the Spartans would completely agree.
1: The Spartans? Yeah. Why? What is, what, why are you saying that?
2: Uh, they seem to have a process of 100%. If there were any uh, defects, they, they'd want to cut them out. No, uh, no uh, I guess, 2% in the chain.
1: Oh, you mean like eugenics, but... But, but I'm talking about, like, the Spartans would have no way of determining if someone is susceptible to a virus or not.
2: Definitely not those Spartans.
1: No. Well, in the episode 300, Leonidas said, Spartans, tonight we dine in hell, right? hmm In order to get to hell, you must die first. On a more serious uh, note... Yes, a film composer, Italian film composer, Ennio Morricone, has passed away, uh, known for doing scores for movies like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and The Hateful Eight, and The Thing, and and, and many more.
2: It's a really sad day for me. He's one of my favorite uh, film composers, composers in general.
1: Um... He's actually not um, the only person who's died recently uh, in the entertainment industry. Um, uh, Joel Schumacher passed away uh, like a week or two right. ago. Uh, and Carl uh, Reiner also passed away.
2: We've lost uh, uh, quite a few great entertainers in, uh, in the recent weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but speaking of, of, of Ennio... I thought it would be it would be nice to talk a little bit about uh, film scores and stuff. Do you have a, do you have a favorite? Is any your favorite, or is he one of your favorites? He is one of my
2: favorites, uh, right up there with him. Is uh, Bernard Herrmann?
1: Yeah, he's great too.
2: They they have such distinctive styles, and and you know, uh, someone who I feel is who I also love. Who I feel is is. Uh, inspired in so many ways, ways by Bernard Herrmann. I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like I hear it in in Danny Elfman, who is another favorite of mine. Yeah, um, I, I feel like I can hear that they both have this classical uh, uh, inspiration in them and and the soundtracks that they create.
1: Bernard Herrmann. Um, I guess it's funny because I feel like both of those two. Um, composers that you mentioned are kind of known for working with a specific director mm-hmm. bernard herman did a lot of hitchcock movies like uh psycho and and north by northwest and and vertigo mm-hmm. um and yeah. uh, uh the man who knew too much i think i think so um and and then danny elfman is known for working with with tim burton a lot yes batman um uh, beetlejuice uh, and so on um yeah yeah it's uh if funnily enough i feel like i feel like um, in the mainstream film composers are kind of unsung heroes a lot of the time you don't hear much about Mm -hmm. like people will say oh the music was so good but but you don't really hear much about the composer themselves um
2: yeah mm -hmm? you know uh Part of why I feel is you mentioned, uh, I think it was the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and Ennio and Sergio Leone, and uh, yeah. a lot of the success for me in my eyes. I mean, uh, I'm not sure how many people know this, but but Sergio Leone had a lot of musical pieces constructed by by even um, Ennio before he started filming, and he would develop uh, those scenes, the the pacing of even the dialogue, the blocking, the framing. Uh, all the movement by the music. So, where, where music comes in uh, usually later, Sergi Leone used uh, Ennio to create it before, with the script, before he did any uh, filming.
1: That's, yeah, that's, that's backwards. That's, I mean, backwards in the sense that that's not the customary way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can only imagine it must be very challenging to film a scene in sync with, with music.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, a lot of times uh sergio would actually play the music uh while they were filming
1: oh yeah but still i feel like even Mm -hmm. with that that doesn't help that much considering you have to cut and do uh turnarounds and and all that stuff Mm -hmm. it just seems like in the editing room yeah you can edit to the music but to Mm -hmm. film to the music seems like a much more challenging undertaking I think in some ways, uh, although I think it could
2: be a a great inspiration on on how uh, the actors are moved, right? There's so much research that shows uh, how music stimulates different emotions in different parts of our brain. And I think Sergio took, uh, along with Ennio, I mean, created such a unique approach. And and it's visually, um, you you can tell how in sync they are um, just by watching it. Uh, it's a very different approach, but I think it works great. It could really inspire people and, and open up uh, s- certain uh, energy, emotional uh, energy.
1: Yeah, I mean, even even uh, um, John Carpenter chose to go with NEO rather than doing the, the music himself where he is himself a film composer. You'd think if, as a film composer, you'd want to compose the music for all your films.
2: Yeah. Carpenter has some great themes although uh, I mean I guess how do you turn down the chance to work with with Ennio?
1: I guess not. I guess you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have um on, one of my favorites is John Williams. Um mm-hmm. he's known for doing Steven Spielberg movies like uh, St- Schindler's List, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, E.T. Um, and not spielberg but he also did um, uh, star wars uh superman and um harry potter it's it's funny how like so many of those iconic classic songs came from from that one person
2: yes he's uh he's created so so many of the themes that that we, we don't even know are there. They, they're inspiring us so much just to listen to.
1: I feel like he's one of those composers, though, John Williams, where mm-hmm. like, the, 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 the music he composes is so iconic mm-hmm. that people will recognize immediately, oh, yes, of course, that's, that's Superman. Yes, that's, yeah. that's Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. Yes, that's Star Wars. Like, it, you won't even question it. You know it. It's just so yeah. iconic. Harry Potter, like you can't hear that Harry Potter theme without automatically picturing the Warner Brothers logo coming through the clouds in the beginning, you mm-hmm. know what I mean?
2: Yeah, they, they, they build into, into the framework of the film like you learn the song without even noticing it's there, right? Uh, and that's something you, we may not be aware of until we hear the song w- without the visual portion.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much subtlety too. I mean, yes, it, it's easy to to talk about the 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 theme of the movie because that's very in your face. But there's so many so much subtlety to some of the music in a movie that's there for the atmosphere, and you don't even realize um, what it's doing. Like for example, um, in uh, in The Exorcist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they baked in. Um, sounds of of insects and bees into the music which you can't really tell but kind of your subconscious can kind of hear it and that helps add to the unsettling feeling because evolutionarily we're kind of hardwired to to be um to to, to dislike sounds of insects as a survival mechanism mm-hmm. so having that embedded in the music even if it's subtle it it, it helps create that atmosphere of unease
2: yeah. The 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 music can really uh push our emotion. Uh music can can
1: make or break a film. Definitely. And you do so f- we've done a couple short films um and you you compose the music for all of them. So what's what is your process like? Uh, my process
2: differs. Uh I think scene to scene. Sometimes I, I see a scene and I I already know what I I'm, I want out of it. Like I, I could kind of hear the song already, that theme uh, for, for that scene. And I've noticed other times um, I know the feeling, but I can't quite find it. So I start playing around with instruments. I start to filter different instruments uh, by styles and, until I can um, find the mood that I'm looking for. And sometimes I have to create my own sounds out of things i'll take something that's in my room and i'll I'll make a noise out of it i'm not sure there's uh, a process other than trying to discover what mood the scene requires and then uh which instruments i'll use to to create it it's that Mm. i'm not even sure that made sense
1: no, I mean, it made sense to me, but I also kind of know your process already, so <laughs> it's not that hard to... to but but it, it's true, though. I think that that's true. You kind of approach each film or each scene even individually, and you kind of figure out what it needs, right? And then what mm-hmm. calls to you. Like you said, sometimes it's instant. Sometimes you see the scene and you kind of already know what the music is. It's like playing in your head. But other times you have to dissect it and think, okay, what is the atmosphere that this scene is is looking for what what feeling do we want to instill in the audience and how can i use my music or the music that i'm going to use for this scene to amplify that or or really ingrain that and sometimes Mm -hmm. there's a lot of trial and error right there's many a times where you're working on the music and you'll send me little Mm -hmm. samples and you'll say what do you think of this what do you think of that and I'll come back and I'll say, oh, that's that's good. But what if you try um, a little bit more like this? And then you go back to work. And then hours later, you come back and you're like, okay, how about this? And it kind of goes back and forth. It's not always instant. Sometimes you just got to search for it and dig for it.
2: Yeah. So, sometimes I might send you 10 very different compositions on on one film. So many different moods because I, I just can't quite find the one that it's calling for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and. You know, sometimes my my input is helpful. Other times I know it's not. Sometimes I'm just like, no, no. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, great. (laughs) Thanks for the help.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Music uh, plays such an interesting role. Uh, Sometimes, I mean, on the last film, The Crumbling, I had a couple of scenes where uh, I had uh, pieces that influenced me when sort of... um, uh thinking about them, I would find a piece of music that I knew was the mood for that scene and I would keep that in mind, that pacing and, and, and mood while we were filming. And then, you know, when we brought it into the editing room and had the scene ready to to, you know, uh create some music to, um, that piece would no longer be important, but it would certainly help me get back to the same mood that that I wanted to um establish when creating uh, a certain scene. And the same goes for writing, you know, sometimes just writing the scene while listening to a certain piece can can inspire that same uh, rhythm.
1: Yeah, I think it's especially the case for The, the Crumbling, our, our, our third short film that we made, um, because it's it, it, atmosphere is such an important component in the movie. And you can't have atmosphere without the right music to accompany it, to amplify it. Um, mm-hmm. Into the the emotion and and the mind of the audience.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It, it was definitely a very atmosphere and mood based.
1: And I would say, even though I hate to call it musical, because musical sounds like there's an upbeat tempo, but mm. but it is our most musical film as well. Uh, most of the film, though not all,
2: has has some sort of tone or, or music or, or rhythm playing through it
1: yeah yeah our other our other short i mean the pokers had had hardly any music just a couple of tones here and there to help with that vibe that atmosphere and and, and our previous one seeker had a few sequences here and there that had music but the crumbling yeah the crumbling had a lot of music that i think as you said uh, earlier can go unnoticed but it's there for the atmosphere and i think that's that's one of the hard parts about about being a film composer um is that sometimes your music is not going to be presently heard but it's going to be there to create that that emotion
2: yes uh, it it seems it seems like um a process. I wonder. I mean, we, we've kind of done this a few times, but uh, let's say for a film composer to be on the same page and to find out from the director what mood they want in that scene, and then to find a way to to create that mood uh, so it can, uh, you know, help elevate uh, what was captured
1: uh, during 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 that filming process. I was listening to an interview where. Quentin Tarantino was t- so Quentin Tarantino typically even though he did use NEO for the hateful eight typically he doesn't have original scores composed for his films he takes scores from other movies and uses them in his films um, yes and his reasoning for it for for for, for most of his career was why should I trust somebody else with, with the soul of my movie? He felt that it's better if he goes and finds the right scores to accompany his film rather than giving, over, giving the film to somebody else. But, but even though I guess he didn't want to use a film composer, it does speak to how important the score is. He described it as the soul of the film. And I think that's, that's, very, that's very true. What do you think?
2: I think that's true. Uh, a film without music would be quite boring in the end. Um, they they really elevate each other.
1: I mean, the the first thing, the first part of, uh, the, the first audio component to film added was music. Mm-hmm. Right? After yeah. the visual image, the next thing that was added was music. Before there was dialogue or anything else, there was music.
2: And even today, to a lot of films that were created silent, they've paired music. Uh, just having music seems to be such a powerful component. Uh, for myself, I know I-, I like watching silent films, although I'd almost always prefer a silent film that was accompanied by by some piece of music.
1: Yeah, and I I think I I think that's right. I think after a certain time. No matter how compelling the visuals are, without some auditory stimulation, you, you'd get bored. And I, I guess like even, even with uh, Sergio Leone, with how much emphasis he put in on, on the visual elements of his films, um, they wouldn't amount to as much without, without the musical stylings of, of Ennio, right? I
2: mean, it's, it's become, his theme has become so famous for Westerns. You hear it and that's what you think of immediately. And they try to replicate it in in modern day westerns, right just to just to let people know this is a western he's become the uh standard
1: and what a spaghetti western is for anybody that doesn't know is in the sixties primarily or at least that's when it kind of started becoming uh popular and coming to prominence was Italian uh filmmakers would make um quote unquote american westerns slash cowboy movies but they were made in Italy and they were called spaghetti Westerns because in Italy mm-hmm. they eat spaghetti. Um, Clint Eastwood, who became famous for playing a cowboy in Sergio Leone's films, the dollar trilogy, which includes the good, the bad and mm-hmm. the ugly, which we mentioned earlier were spaghetti Westerns. In fact, most act, most of the actors in those movies were Italian that they would dub English over for the American releases. And it, yeah, like you had Clint Eastwood acting opposite somebody who was speaking Italian to him. He was speaking English and the person was answering in an Italian because they were Italian hmm. actors playing, either they were playing Mexicans or, or just, a, a, you know, generic American Americans in, in the old West. Um, yeah. And it's really funny. Like if you pay attention, you can see that their mouths are not in sync with what they're saying. It's because those actors are Italian and they don't speak English.
2: Yeah, there was so much dubbing.
1: Yeah, and and I also like the um the, the reason why Clintis, Clint Clint squint the famous Clint Eastwood squint in the western movies? Go go ahead, you know why, why don't you tell it? Uh, the the reason
2: I know of the squint is that uh is more from the uh, the directorial point of view of Sergio Leone that he wanted really deep focus so he would, you know, add a lot of lights uh to uh, the you know to the set he would also film at at some of the worst times of day because they wanted that harsh light um and uh the technoscope shooting of it is actually what created even greater depth of field but those components were part of what added to uh, uh such a hard squint from so many people
1: yeah, that's exactly, that, that's it. I just think it's so funny. Like he's famous for like that. I feel like he's famous. I hear about <laughs> it a lot that how like yes. his, his look, his squinty look in, um, in, in, in Sergio Leone's Westerns, the good, the bad and the ugly, or, uh, well, I guess I'm, I'm going, going backwards. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more in the good, the bad and the ugly, it was because he was blasted with light and he was squinting because there was so much light in his eyes that he couldn't see. And it almost became yeah. like an actor trademark, even though he was only doing it because the <laughs> poor guy couldn't see shit and he couldn't wear Ray-Bans in, in the Wild West.
2: <laughs> that must have been a really tough shoot uh, between those hot lights uh, in your eyes, on uh, you know, burning you down. He <sighs> must have lost a lot of
1: weight. Yeah, man. And also the whole concept of, of not understanding what you're, the, the actors you're acting opposite of are saying to you. Yes. Like so much of acting is reacting. And how much can you react when you don't know what the other person is saying? It, it's very... um, it, It's not the optimal way to, to act. You want to you wanna give the appearance of a natural dialogue. And it's very hard to replicate that when... You're kind of like, okay, he's going to say some stuff that I don't understand and then I'm going to say this. And then when he says more things that I don't understand, then I'm going to say that. <laughs> that's like that's like something they tell you not to do if you ever take an acting class. Like don't wait for it to say your line. You have to forget your line until it's time to say it, you know? But you can't do that when you don't know what the person is telling you. It it just
2: it it makes it so much more impressive to know that they worked under those conditions and created s- such great uh films
1: yeah and, and and something we mentioned um i think in the previous episode or the episode before or the last episode we did together um it's the the dollar trilogy is one of the few examples where a film gets a film trilogy or 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 a film series gets better with each installment
0: mm-hmm
1: and actually, there's something. Um, I actually because a, a few episodes ago we talked about good remakes and good sequels and good prequels and this and that and the other. Um, mm-hmm. there was actually a topic, I guess, just to harken back to that a little bit if you want to. Um, sure, there was something that I f- remembered to mention after we had recorded,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is there are not many um series. Like film series where you could say almost or at least almost, where you could say all of or at least almost every installment is up to par. Can you mm-hmm. think of any film series where you would say that if not every single one, but almost every single one is an excellent or at least a very good movie? Uh,
2: the No Name Man trilogy, right? The the one that that we we're just talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. Sure. Anything besides that one, though? Uh, and again, trilogies be... are funny, right? Because most trilogies are pretty good. I mean, like, a, a whole series that has, like, a lot of installments. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, okay, so, so you mean all the installments? Look, there could be some duds here and there, but for the most part.
2: We talk about more than three films now.
1: Yeah, more than three.
0: Oof,
2: that's a tough one. There must be just a few,
1: though nothing is coming to mind right now. Do you have one in mind? I have a couple in mind actually. Mm-hmm. One that we mentioned before, the Harry Potter series. I think, I think, I- I- excluding the Fantastic Beasts altogether, I think every single one of those movies is a good movie, um, to varying degrees, I guess. But but overall, I think that's a rare example of an eight-film series. Where every single movie is very good and, and very mm-hmm. satisfying, um, would you agree with that? I, I'd say I'd say
2: they they yeah they're good throughout. I agree.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one. Um, I mean, even the the, the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. the MCU. It's like twenty twenty one movies. Mm-hmm. Again, to varying degrees, but overall, I would say successful uh, series. Um, would you agree with that one? I would agree. I how about um a little
2: detour? You got my mind cranking. Um, Toy Story. Oh,
1: there you go, Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. I'd say every Toy Story movie was good. Yeah.
2: I I've enjoyed every Toy Story movie I've seen, and I think I think I can recall the last one being a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I liked I liked Toy Story four. To- I liked Toy Story three more. Um, yeah. I found it to be a better ending. Toy Story four felt like an epilogue like Toy Story 3 still feels like the conclusion and Toy Story 4 feels like an epilogue. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but yeah, I, I like that. I, actually, I, I think Pixar in general,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they do great movies, man. Like maybe there's a couple like Cars 2 or whatever that was like, mm-hmm. ugh. but but almost every Pixar movie is really good. Yeah. Like I saw the I, new I one. Uh, right. just, did you see the new one Onward?
2: I don't think I've seen
1: Onward. It's 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 good, it's good. I like I like Pixar. Um, another series I was gonna bring up, Rocky. Mm-hmm. Rocky's
2: a good series. Uh, you know, I I remember when I was young, it stopped at Tommy Boy, and Tommy Boy, the last one was was the least exciting of them.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, what Tommy Gun, right? Yeah, that was Rocky Five. Yeah, Rocky 5 I would say was the only Rocky movie that didn't really deliver. Yeah, but every Rocky movie since then including the Creed uh the two Creed movies I thought were really good. I, I liked them as well. I thought I thought they were they were solid. The, the thing is like and also t- Rocky 5 they didn't even fight. Like they had just like a street fight. It mm. wasn't like, you know, it did I guess I appreciate the the idea of them uh, trying something different, I guess. Um, you know what? It was always funny to me for Rocky Five. What? So, Rocky Five takes place right after Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. So, I think one, one of the first scenes in Rocky Five is Rocky Balboa gets off the plane from Russia where he was fighting uh, Ivan Drogo, right? Okay.
2: Yeah, I think so too.
1: And obviously, in real life some years had passed between filming rocky 4 and rocky (laughs) 5 yeah so the son (laughs) looked significantly older it's like supposed to be the next day and somehow he grew like two years worth (laughs)
2: uh i have to go back and see that it's been
0: a while <laughs> it's
1: it's funny like a few years ago i i like went through all of them like back to back i did like a little like marathon for myself like not in one day yeah. obviously but over the course of like a few days like a week maybe so yeah. i saw rocky four and then i put on rocky five i'm like jesus christ this kid went through puberty in one day
2: <laughs> oh man
1: <laughs> um but then the, the the rocky balboa was good I liked that, yeah. where where he's like old and and now like people are like discounting him and stuff. And then I liked I liked him becoming the trainer. I liked that in the Creed in the Creed movies. How, how do you feel? Not to sidestep too much, but how do you feel about his Rambo films? I didn't see the 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 the, the latest one, Last Blood, but I heard lackluster yeah. things about it.
2: Oof, I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah. Um I would say overall, I like the Rambo films. Um, It's not, it's, I think First Blood is easily the best one. I mean, yeah. The one thing I always felt about the Rambo films was they had the most confusing film title convention. Because the first Rambo movie is called First Blood. It's not called Rambo First Blood. It's just called First First Blood. Blood. The second Rambo movie is called Rambo First Blood 2. The third Rambo movie is called Rambo. And the fourth Rambo movie is called Rambo 4. And now the new one is called Rambo Last Blood. The third Rambo movie is the only movie that's just called Rambo. The third one. I, I, I think it might be the, the fourth one. The I fourth think Rambo
2: one. Rambo three. Rambo three is just Rambo three.
1: Oh, is that maybe I got them backwards? It's Rambo. Oh, is that what it is? Uh First Blood, Rambo,
2: First Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, Rambo, Rambo last Blood. That's
1: what it is. Okay, I got them flipped. That's what it is. You're right. Okay, yes. So it's Rambo yeah. 3. Rambo. That's even worse. Rambo I made it better. <laughs> Rambo three came out before Rambo. And it's not that Rambo's a prequel either.
2: They start losing, losing like uh, words, you know. After uh, first blood part two, they drop the uh, first blood part, and then uh, and then they drop uh, the number on by the fourth film. Yeah, the last one they just chose to do last blood. Well,
1: yeah. Um. What do you think about the Rambo movies?
2: I I mean I, I'd be lying if I say I can remember them all in great detail. I remember enjoying the first two um i remember thinking rambo uh which is i guess rambo 4 was okay and i haven't seen last blood um but i think we have consensus right that they they start off strong and and lose steam
1: yeah it's i wouldn't put it in the category of uh hit after hit and i I can't say Mm -hmm. for sure anyway without seeing um the latest installment which i do want to see because i have seen all the other ones i mean but yeah um it 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 became low priority when i when it didn't get um a good reaction Mm
2: -hmm. yeah yeah
1: you know actually
2: i i enjoyed a, a lot of the indiana jones
1: oh yeah yeah uh i i thought so too um especially the first three yes um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was fine, but I don't think it lived up to the uh, hype.
2: No, uh, I give it a little leeway. It's the fourth film after what twenty years or so.
1: Yeah, I I, I still think uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is by far the best one, though. I I I think I, most people would agree with that. Yeah, and I think it's just altogether like a fantastic movie. I think that's I mean, you're yeah. really. Splitting hairs when talking about what Spielberg's best movies are. He's got a lot of them. (laughs) But I would say Raiders of the Lost Ark is up there. They created PG-13 for Raiders of the Lost Ark, I believe. Yeah, before then, there was no PG-13. There was PG, and then it would go to R. And for for Indiana Jones, they felt like it wasn't kid-friendly enough for PG. But it wasn't adult enough for R, so they created PG thirteen uh specifically game. for that movie. The MPAA. The game changer. Yeah. yeah. That's why if you look at um if you look at a lot of um movies prior to like in the 70s and back, you'd mm-hmm. see movies that were like, This is PG? <laughs> you know, like 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 poltergeist. Poltergeist is yeah. rated PG.
2: Not not these days, huh?
1: No, I mean, Maybe, it's, maybe it truly isn't like strict enough for R. If it is R, it's like a soft R. But it's, it would definitely be PG-13. But there was no PG-13 then. So that's yeah. why it's PG.
2: I think the uh, same probably felt true of uh, The Shining uh, TV series that they put
1: out. Well, what was that? I mean, that, that, that doesn't get PG and stuff. What was that? Just rated mature? That might have been. I guess it was because it was a
2: TV release. Right? Yeah, like TV
1: re- TV releases are uh, different. They, they they get different ratings.
2: hmm They're rated a little bit differently. Yeah. Or they have more. Uh, I
1: I uh, I think that personally, I'm a little discouraged when I see horror movies that are rated less than R. R. <laughs> I agree. Uh there are good horror movies that are rated um PG-13 um that are good like Insidious mm-hmm. or um Signs and you know there's yeah. definitely others. Um No, the others that's another one. Um <laughs> Uh but but typically I'm less likely to watch a horror movie if it's not rated R. Mhm. I, I feel the same yeah i always feel like i mean how much can you scare me if it's not rated r <laughs> we're
2: we are we are sort of um we've normalized a lot you know we're, we've desensitized to uh, our horror films are, are becoming more violent and violent but not necessarily um better Uh, there's a fine line somewhere in there i feel like having the rated r really helps you you get there but um it's it's a much bigger stride when you're in the pg-13 category i guess
1: yeah and don't get me wrong i'd rather see a horror movie that's good but rated pg-13 than one that's bad that's rated r of course i don't think Mm -hmm. that rated r means it's a good horror movie i just think yeah it's for me it's more likely That it'll truly scare me rather than, uh, more so than a PG-13 horror movie.
2: It feels like there's uh, a formula to a lot of them, right? Or that they're made, I guess, because, I don't know, they're made for teenagers.
1: Yeah, it's a box office thing, right? If your movie is PG-13, more people will be able to see it. And therefore, you'll sell more tickets. If If your movie's rated R, it won't sell as many tickets and therefore will most likely not make as much money
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so pg-13 is a very broad spectrum it's just adult enough for adults and it's just kid enough for kids
2: i I remember uh when i saw taken and i was told or i noticed it's pg-13 i like i had to think about that for a moment because i had not seen it had been some time since i would seen the pg-13 movie that that i really enjoyed that much you know Uh, at least of its style
1: yeah i mean it's not that hard to not do a a rated r action movie if you avoid blood and cursing
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you can get a pg-13 for an action movie yeah but to me it's like i mean the blood really sells it you know like i I don't like when i'm watching a movie and somebody gets shot and they don't bleed you know what
2: i mean (laughs) this i don't believe this this is not real
1: yeah yeah so it's it's just like to, to me it's also for realism because life is rated r you know yeah actually life life is rated x but you know you know what i mean
2: <laughs> life is something else so all right
1: yeah but but you know when when nobody when you're doing an action movie yeah if you don't if you avoid the blood you won't get um you won't get an R rating, probably, as long as there's no cursing. But I think the blood adds a little bit more to the gruesomeness of the action, you know?
2: We all bleed.
1: Yeah, we all bleed. And, and let me tell you something, man. If you're fucking running from a bunch of guys trying to kill you and you don't say a couple of fucks. I mean, yeah. what is this, a Mormon action hero?
2: If a zombie bites you and there's no blood
1: right oh a zombie movie can't be can't be pg-13 man <laughs> that can't be <laughs> have you seen though
2: um the last man on earth
1: you mean vincent price yes yeah i've seen it
2: um that was probably rated uh pg or
1: but there was no what. r then there was no R.
2: there was no r. There i mean no, no
1: no sorry sorry there was no pg-13 then
2: that's true what what rating was there any rating system at that point
1: there must have been i wonder let me see let me look that up real quick i pulling it up uh no, no not rated i guess there was no rating in the 60s or at least that movie didn't get rated in the 60s
2: yeah it was uh it was a tame tame film
1: yeah i'm seeing uh the omega man was rated pg
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and you know the uh the last man on earth the omega man and uh the will smith movie i am legend are all based on the book i am legend yes yeah they're all based on the same book but they were like vampires in in those movies not really zombies
2: yeah they seemed like some cross of like vampire and zombies right there's definitely a zombie inspiration in there
1: yeah well, definitely in the I Am Legend movie, they kind of did a little zombie thing to them, more so than the previous ones.
2: Yeah. Vincent Price had some some interesting films. He built up quite, quite the uh,
1: catalog.
2: Yes, we got to see him one last time in Edward Scissorhands, right?
1: Oh, was that his last movie?
2: I think so, yeah. He was, he was really old.
1: Yeah, he has a couple of credits after uh, Edward Scissorhands, but that seems to be the last big movie that he was in. hmm Yeah. And uh, Edward Scissorhands, back to uh, uh, composer uh, Danny Elfman. That's Tim, right. Tim Burton movie.
2: That's probably one of his uh, earlier compositions, right? I think um Elfman came in and worked with uh for the first time ever worked on the film was with Tim Burton and it was on uh, Pee-wee Pee-wee's Big Adventure
1: Oh, that was his first comp- composing credit?
2: Yeah, I I think they came to him if I recall correctly. He he told the story during his master class about how um uh They had brought him in to do uh, a score for that film. And he wasn't sure how he was going to do it. But as he left, he started to, you know, just hear the theme. So he tried to, you know, take a mental note and then copy it down. And before he knew it, he was coming up for all all sorts of themes and and style for uh, the Pee-wee film.
1: According to uh, his IMDb, he's got one credit before Pee-wee's Big Adventure for a movie called Forbidden Zone. um this seemed to be oh that he directed that he directed oh he didn't mention that in his master class <laughs> maybe there's a reason for that <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i guess you know he was trying his hand at, at filmmaking and i guess uh the comp the composing element is what took off oh man you know who's in this i just i'm just going through the pictures um mm-hmm tattoo from uh forbidden uh, uh f- from fantasy island. There was a fantasy island uh horror movie that came out last year. I didn't see it. And you were on it? I don't know. I I think I feel like it came and went, so that makes me feel like it might have been uh mediocre or something. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But it was it was a horror take on the Fantasy Island show.
2: Mm. PG-13?
1: Yeah. i think that i think i i think i was browsing and i came across an unrated version but i don't know if that would mean it was rated r
2: it sounded like it it pained you to say it
1: well i thought i thought it was a cool concept when they announced it you know a, a horror version of fantasy island i thought that sounded pretty interesting you know, it it would definitely be interesting. Uh, I guess a
2: lot depends on the studio's vision and the director's vision, and if they can uh, align, or if the studio will give you know director complete control of their vision.
1: Yeah, and you also taught you also told me uh, earlier today about or yesterday rather how they they've postponed uh, Halloween Kills, the sequel to the latest Halloween movie.
2: Yeah, they've postponed it, although I think they they are still moving forward for filming on uh, their last film, I guess in the new trilogy, uh Halloween Ends. So, uh they pushed it they pushed back the release by 1 year.
1: Yeah, they really want a theatrical release, I guess.
2: They felt I guess they felt they wouldn't be doing their team and their production justice uh if, if they didn't get a good theatrical release for the film. And I think some films are that. I mean, No, no Time to Die, the new Bond film, which will be Craig's last, uh, I think probably deserves a good theatrical release as well. Um, hopefully we can see some changes in our environment uh, in time.
1: Yeah, I mean, Christopher Nolan's film Tenet, which already got pushed back, is scheduled right now for sometime in August um yeah so we'll we'll see i mean uh, hopefully that means that theaters will be back in business um, at that time
2: yeah i fear for theaters they they were struggling before that and now at, at half uh, capacity uh, hope they stay alive
1: it seems like um the new the new trend will be that studios will uh pick and choose which movies they want to do a theatrical release and which movies they want to do a uh, straight-to-stream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, I mean, has always been the case. There's always been straight-to-video movies, but I feel like more so now. Like, it seemed like like in, in like, the 90s or and the early 2000s, a straight-to-video movie was kind of like the studio saying, this is not really that good, so we're not going to waste money on a theatrical mm-hmm. distribution so straight to video movies were typically of lower lower caliber films typically not yeah. not 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 uh, to 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 scoff at, at straight to video movies i just mean in general this that means the studio didn't have as much faith in it that in that than they did with their theatrical release movies but now it seems like even good movies are getting straight to straight to streaming or straight to on demand releases like The King of Staten Island, Judd Apatow's latest movie which I thought was very good. Um because of coronavirus, it went straight to streaming. Um, obviously it would have gotten a theatrical release if it wasn't for that. But I think um I think theater, I mean uh, uh producing uh producers and and studios are seeing good profits coming in from from streaming. I know mm-hmm. that uh Universal was very happy with their trolls movie, uh, the numbers that it did on their, on its streaming.
2: Yeah. You know, if it might be the way things are going and that would be okay. Uh, an advancement with our technology allows us to maybe reap some benefits. Uh, not, not all films need a theatrical release, but maybe it creates uh, this market for these other filmmakers who are on, uh, a different uh, budget, uh, it gives them the chance to make a film and have it released. Yeah, and for I, I, some, it's more affordable to, to watch it that way, too.
1: Yeah, I just don't want it to be that indie films just never get theatrical releases and only big blockbuster movies get theatrical releases.
2: That would suck, because then how would I watch The Lighthouse in the theater on a huge screen?
1: Well, you wouldn't. I wouldn't.
2: And there's no reason to get me to the theater for some of these big releases i think
1: yeah but i think that to me if i had to guess i think that that's that's the trend that i'm seeing i think the theater is becoming a place for big blockbuster movies and then smaller movies indie movies are probably going to be ending up on on streaming services for the most part Mm -hmm. and that's okay like I'd love it if one of our movies ended up on a streaming service, like if Netflix wanted to buy one of our movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and that's that's great. But I think the, the, the magic of a theatrical release is, is something is worth something as well, you know?
2: The experience of a theatrical release. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the uh, the we made it moment. It's a theatrical release.
1: I mean, it's got to be exhilarating to be able to sit in a theater and watch your movie with an audience.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I could imagine I'd be probably watching the audience more than the film.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you, you would have seen the film so much, you probably hate it at that <laughs> point.
2: <laughs> Set up a chair staring the other way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You go right up to the <laughs> front and you put up a chair and you look at the audience rather than, the theater, rather, <laughs> than the, rather than the screen.
2: That wouldn't be creepy.
1: Yeah. Uh, Anything you've watched recently that you could recommend?
2: Uh, The last couple of nights, I just watched some films that I've already seen before. Uh, Have you ever seen A Sweet Smell of Success?
1: No, I have not. Okay.
2: It's it's a great noir film. One of my favorites. One of the stars in it is uh, Burt Lancaster. Tony Curtis is in it. Um, I can't remember who directed it, but it's got such a great New York City vibe to it. Um, If you haven't watched it, watch it. I don't want to say anymore. It has such character. If you watch it, I think you'll kind of find inspiration even for a lot of uh, Scorsese films.
1: All right. Awesome.
2: And uh, the other film I I recently rewatched is uh, Drugstore Cowboy with uh, Matt Dillon and uh, Kelly Lynch.
1: No, I've seen that one.
2: You've seen that one? Yeah. It's a really, really good one, right?
1: Yeah, that's good. Matt Dillon, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel like he deserves to be in more things. He's such a good actor. He is. Have you seen anything uh, lately that you'd like to suggest? (sighs) Um... I saw this isn't lately, but it's been a long time since we did this recommendation thing. Um, on, on Apple TV Plus, there was the 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 Beastie Boys live documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh that I thought that was really cool and really interesting. Um it was basically uh Ad Rock and Mike D were on stage and they were basically sharing photos and, and videos and stories. Of their their career and, and and beginnings and rise to prominence. And it was directed by Spike Jones. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it was a live documentary. So they did the documentary live on stage in front of an audience. And Very it's, cool. Yeah, for Apple TV Plus exclusive. Wow. All right. And we'll also we have out. we have no sponsorship from Apple TV Plus, but we will gladly take it.
2: So feel free to email.
1: Feel free to email. Feel free, feel free to email us, Apple, at spinningrealfilms at gmail.com or on Instagram at spinningrealfilms or on Twitter at spinningrealf. That's R-E-A-L for real. Spinning R-E-A-L films. Not just Apple. Anyone out there. Feel free to contact us to... to... to for... for uh, whatever. And most importantly, join the cult!
3: Frozen and soulless, trying to defend you and protect the soulless. Hoping in this flow I find dope and some solace. You're sold out when you're found where the dope is. Down in the dumps of the inner city encroachment between two bridges where Queens and Dumbo is. Better hold something if someone approaches. Take a, flick, take a flick, selfies from cell phone clips. World star hip hop from underground New York. We're sweating tears are the start of the blood spurt off Benham Street and Gramercy Park. Marcy and Marcy and Shell is barse. Ideas that make things ever clearer, dark liquor. The market of peace, I leave on these sicker. The figures of speech chumped out, it's hip hop. She's still breathing CPR for the victim. Graduated struggle with Donnus. Now I think twice in revolving. When you hear that ring, baby, let it pain. People will speak in English, but we live in slang. Couple for the lawyers, lawyers. Never living in the cost, Now I'm old, Got that bang bang with it But I wreck it Cause my fucking chain hang with it I'm L.E.S. has always seen my best Queens is my love But that's the home of stress Harlem kept me high Baby, tweaking out B.K. let me move me Until hippies kick me out so I bought it then, got them dirty knuckles, now they knowin' who we are Living graffiti, dodging the cops, pushing them ARs I'm two cents, from there you ain't money I make decisions so my kids got that Bruce Wayne money, we gone Before my pros of wisdom hit the floor Stop chatting, talking about that raw uh, Now we in it, drawing beyond your image Coke built my city, that's that real white privilege Peraterame todo, wait before you know them From a hero that you hate, to a villain that you love though all there good guys in this hustle, baby, tell me more All there bad guys in this hustle, man, we never wrong Graduated, struggle with honesty. Now I think twice and revolving When you hear that ring, baby, let it bang People speak in English, but we live in slang Duffel for the lawyers, lawyers Never living in the causes, now Oh, got that bang bang with it, but I rep it Cause my fucking chain hang with it, Uh-oh.